Welcome, science and sci-fi geeks. This is Interface to Face, the podcast that brings you interviews with some really cool people. I'm Chuck Tomasi. And I'm Craig Stepp. And we are very excited to have on the show this time Jonathan Strickland from How Stuff Works. We've seen Jonathan for the last couple of years at Dragon Con volunteering on the podcasting track, and we thought it would be interesting to hear about behind the scenes of a very popular website. Now, How Stuff Works is a commercial edutainment website that was founded by Marshall Brain. Is that right? That's right. <laughs> okay, with the goal of giving its target audience an insight into the way in which many things work. And Jonathan's here to tell us all about how everything works. Did you make that word up, edutainment? Who me? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was thought up of by someone far more uh, intelligent than I. Marketing. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> marketing. <laughs> well, he said intelligent. I'm kidding. <laughs> all right, let's let's back up. First, tell the listener a little bit about yourself, Jonathan. Sure. Uh, all right. So I am a uh, before I before I came to HowStuffWorks.com, I was working in various jobs, mostly in um, human resources management and consulting which is about as exciting as it sounds. Hmm. Uh, I'm, the, I'm the son of two teachers, and uh, my parents also have written um, science fiction and fantasy novels and short stories for as long as I can remember, so I grew up in that environment. And uh, I had this interest in writing. I had an interest in technology uh, and a real sense of curiosity and getting to the bottom of things and learning really what makes stuff tick, and not just technical stuff but you know what makes people tick what makes societies tick and uh, and fortunately uh, in 2007 the opportunity arose for me to uh, to interview with howstuffworks.com i had been a fan of the site for for several years and uh, I interviewed uh, one of my friends was uh, one of the staff writers here, and uh, she did not take part in my interviews. She had to stay completely separate from that. But fortunately, uh, I was able to impress the folks enough for them to give me a shot. So they had me write a couple of articles for them. And based upon that, they hired me on full time and uh, became a writer there. Uh, uh, 2008, I became a senior writer for the company. And now I am part of an editorial staff that really tries to demystify the universe. It's a, you know, it's a sweet gig. <laughs> what is your process for, for doing the research and figuring out what, what to go after and then how to go after it? Sure. Now that's, oh man, this is a great topic. Okay. So when we get an assignment, uh, the first step of course, is to really look at the assignment and then think, what questions does this article need to answer? So let, I'll give you an example. Let's say that I had my, I'll, I'll give my first example, how Asimo works. Uh, Asimo is the robot that Honda created, mm -hmm. the, the anthropomorphic robot. Right. Uh, pretty cool robot. And um, I got the, that was one of my first assignments. Well, the first thing you do is you create a list of questions you think that article should be able to answer. And this is a sky's the limit sort of thing. You make that list of questions. And then the way we work in our department is we send that list to all the other writers and editors that are part of our department. And uh, they will add their own questions or elaborate on something that you've already written. So that, that gives you the framework that you start from. You look at that framework and you say, okay, these are the questions I should be able to answer with this article. And I should be able to do it in a very entertaining and easily accessible way. So then you start looking for sources. 
here's the tricky part. Uh, we all know that there's information out there on the internet. There's tons of it, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, yeah. but how do you separate the good from the bad? <laughs> That's and, the trick, uh, isn't it? <laughs> it is a trick. It's, it really becomes an exercise in critical thinking. You take a look at the sources and you really look to see what is the quality of this source. Does this come from, say, a peer-reviewed journal, which you would consider that to be one of the, the best sources possible? Sure. Or you know, is this something that's reported on by one person and it, it's really a report about a press release about a product? You know, The further removed you get – the less reliable the information and uh, and the more likelihood that someone has just made a mistake either by taking a shortcut or, you know, we're human. We, we tend to just, we'll, we'll read something, we interpret it, and then we write about it. That means whoever reads it, they're going to interpret it. And the further up the way you get from the source, the, the more likely you're going to get something wrong. So we try and look for uh, the primary sources. And if we can, we do interviews with people. We go to peer-reviewed journals. We have uh, various uh, subscriptions to journals that we can we can access that are really helpful. And, um, and that's really where we start from. Well, how do you come up with the, uh, the different topics to talk about? Like where do the assignments people, come from? Yeah, do they, do they come from the website? Do they come from editorial staff, something like that? It's interesting. Uh, we have uh, every other week we have an editorial meeting where we will brainstorm topics, and usually we we have a a general theme for that brainstorming session. Otherwise, it just goes everywhere. Uh, so we will get a theme. Let's say it's green technology. So we'll all start thinking about green technology, interesting products and in green technology, questions that need to be answered, things like does solar power really make sense. Mm-hmm. based upon the efficiency of solar power, based upon the, the, the materials that go into producing solar panels and, and the toxicity and the, and the rare metals, like really boiling these down to deep questions. Uh, and we, we will just pitch as many of those ideas as we possibly can. And then the head of our editorial staff will look at those questions, pick the best of the bunch, assign them to the writers that would best uh, uh, meet that particular questions, uh, uh, parameters, I guess you could say. And then we go from there. We also have writers who are specialists in various uh, categories. For example, I'm the senior writer and I tend to focus on technology. So computers, gadgets, websites, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And we will also occasionally send in ideas for maybe a batch of 50 article ideas for various topics that we think should be covered on the site. And those also get worked into the schedule. Well, do you ever have a, a pet one you want to slide in? I know I've seen like how lightsabers work. <laughs> oh, I, if I were to talk about pet ideas, we'd be here for hours. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So, but Leah, I, I, for instance, the things that really interest me uh, are at least in technology. I mean, I, there's, Stuff all over the website that I would love to write about that it's not necessarily my field and I probably wouldn't get the assignment, but it doesn't stop the fact that I'd love to write about them. But I I love topics like convergence in technology where you see different form factors coming in to kind of merge into a new form factor that, that encapsulates everything that the other two originally did. Uh, so convergence is big, artificial intelligence, artificial consciousness, the mm-hmm. ethics 
surrounding those issues because that's really interesting to me. Um, the the idea of whether or not Moore's law is truly sustainable. Uh, these are the kind of things that I really enjoy writing about. It's so geeky. I just realized how geeky I am by talking about what I really want to write. Take a step back. Whoa, look at yeah, me. Let, I need a moment. Yeah. All right, let's go. The flip side of Craig's question, do you ever get any assignments where you just go, oh, uh, yeah, heck no, man, don't give me that. It, it happens. It happens. And here's how, the interesting how fish thing. scales work. I'm kidding. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Here's the really interesting thing to me, though. I To be perfectly honest. Yes, there have been times where I've had assignments where I looked at the assignment and I thought, this is going to be terrible. I, I'm i going to have to do my best to make sure this article is still readable because I can't believe I got this assignment. But the odd thing is, is more often than not, those assignments turn out to be far more interesting than I expected. I'll, I'll, I'll get the assignment originally and I'll just, my first gut reaction is, no way, I can't do this. And then by the end of the week, I'm thinking, wow, you know, that was actually way more interesting than I gave it credit for. And it turned out to be a great article. Conversely, sometimes I get an assignment for something that I'm really excited about. And then within the first couple of days of the assignment, I realized, wow, this is a lot harder for me to write about than I thought. I mean, I'm really interested in it and I'm really engaged in the topic, but I don't, it's hard to convert that into an actual article sometimes. Mm Mm-hmm. Do you find yourself spouting off in conversation or, or, or jumping into someone else's conversation? You know, somebody in the airplane is talking about something you wrote about, and you might, well, actually, that's not really the way it works. It would require <laughs> physical restraint for me to not do that. Um, yeah. Actually, I'll tell you what. The thing that helps me in those situations more than anything else is Twitter, because now I can be passive-aggressive to the general public instead of to people on a one-to-one basis. So, for example, I remember I was at the airport this was probably a year ago where I was at the airport. I'm sitting down and I'm just trying to read the news and kind of uh, I'm, I'm trying to, to de-stress before I get on this plane to fly for four hours. And the guy standing 10 feet away from me is having a conversation on his cell phone and he's shouting into his cell phone. <laughs> and so I sent out a Twitter message saying, dear man, shouting on your cell phone. Phones have microphones in them which amplify your voice. Ask me how it works. <laughs> and so in that case, I was sort of doing that, but I wasn't doing it directly to his face, mostly because I think people who are getting ready to get on a flight are so stressed out, they're about two steps away from socking you in the mush already. So I just mm-hmm. decided instead I would just broadcast that to the world in general as opposed to just him. Well, as I say, you wouldn't want to take off the guy that's getting on the plane with you, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Especially if it, what if it turned out to be like the pilot? That would have really been irritating. A little, You're right. Yeah. I think I saw the same guy. He, he had his, his cell phone. He was wearing the earbuds, but he was talking into the cell phone's microphone. But he had it like a half inch away from his face. Like, what? You know, all you're doing is distorting it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's understandable in a way because you think if you have two people together in the same space and the volume inside that space is pretty high, you know you have to speak at a volume loud enough for the other person to hear you. When you're on the phone, you forget, hey, there's a microphone here. It's designed to pick up my voice specifically. I don't need to shout just because it's loud in the space that I'm currently, you know, where I'm at, right? <laughs> so you, yeah. have to, you have to fight back that natural urge to speak louder. And it's, it's not easy to do. 
So you've done your research and you've written your article. Have you ever been uh, called out by a subject matter expert to say, well, you know, you missed a fact here or, or so, that wasn't quite right? Um, yes. There was uh, – this was more – we did a podcast. Uh, I'm also a podcaster on top of writer for HowStuffWorks.com. Mm-hmm. Did a podcast on tech stuff about a man – maybe you've heard of him. Um, his name is Vent Cerf. <laughs> Who? Vent, Vent, Vent Cerf uh, – <laughs> Known as one of the fathers of the internet, a guy who worked on the protocols that the internet uses to transmit information. He's also a uh, a bigwig at Google now. He's kind of their um, oh I forget I think it's a evangelist chief evangelist is his title mm-hmm. at Google. Super smart guy, and we did a podcast about him. And then he heard the podcast and then read several of the articles on how stuff works and wrote me an email. And in the email, he had some suggestions for tweaks to the articles. And there was nothing that was outright wrong, but there were things that he thought needed more clarification. His email was about five pages long. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> and it, again, it wasn't, it, wasn't, it wasn't super critical. It was just that he, the, the actual clarification would be a sentence, but he would go on for three more paragraphs about how – you know, how they came to this and how it was like getting a history lesson in an email. So really the, the corrections, if you boiled all the other stuff out, the corrections probably took up a paragraph. The, <laughs> the information behind it was incredible and it was several pages long. And I mean, really, when you think about it, that's, that's pretty cool. I mean, I was, when I saw that I received an email from Vinton Surf, I was kind of geeking out a little bit. That, yeah. That he took the time to, spend that much time composing that that's awesome oh yeah yeah so you still have those moments where where the um the geek revelation moment you go like wow even though i've used email so much to get an email from somebody like that because he read you know because the internet's like a the big uh leveler so to speak and there's all the time you always get these things go wow i can't believe i just got an email from so-and-so even though you've been using email for ages and it's entirely possible you know what i'm saying yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we've, we, we also find out, like, here's the other thing about writing and podcasting, is sometimes you forget that people are reading and listening to you. <laughs> like, I mean, that's the reason you're yeah. doing it, right? But you forget mm-hmm. that because you don't have, it's not like, I, I also do stage acting. And when you're on stage, you get immediate feedback from the audience. You, right, know, right. you know if it's going well or if it's not going well. And, uh, and there's that feeling of connection. But with writing and with podcasting, it's not that immediate. And so sometimes you send something out on the internet and you, you move on to your next thing and you forget that other thing is still out there and that people are reading it or listening to it. So when you get the responses, it's really gratifying and sometimes surprising because you forget, oh my gosh, I forgot that I had even written that article because that might have been a couple of years ago. Um, in fact, I got a, a feedback this morning on an article I wrote a couple of years ago and it was really nice feedback. I mean, it was, it was just someone who was being um, uh, uh, very appreciative of an article I wrote about cloud computing. And that was a great feeling. But again, like I'm, I've been writing about other stuff for the last year. And my assignment this week has nothing to do with cloud computing. So it's not really in my mind. It's, it's one of those things that's just a nice surprise. And when it's someone that I admire, um, then it's even more surprising to me. So like Vent and Surf, I also... Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Ian Spector, who uh, wrote to let us know that we got the details correct about his um, about the origin of the Chuck Norris facts. 
<laughs> He's the Chuck, Chuck Norris fax guy. And, mm-hmm. um, and it turned out that he listens to our show and he really enjoyed it. And he sent us autographed copies of his Chuck Norris book. Oh, so Which, Chuck Norris can punch a black hole? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Chuck Norris doesn't, doesn't do push-ups. He pushes the earth down. That's right. <laughs> you know, technically that's somewhat factual. Yeah, <laughs> I don't want to get nuts and bolts on how stuff works, but that actually so let's, is. <laughs> let's talk about the laws of thermodynamics for a little while. Hi, this is Edward James Olmos, Battlestar Commander Adama, and you're listening to Chuck and Craig. Don't forget, frack off. Take a fact-based journey through the cosmos with Astronomy Cast. Join me, Dr. Pamela Gay, and my co-host Fraser Kane, publisher of Universe Today, as we discuss not just what we know, but how we know it. Topics range from dark matter to why Pluto isn't a planet. Get your episodes today at astronomycast.com or look for us in iTunes. So, um, now I was a fan of uh, how stuff works way before, you know, Wikipedia really started getting popular and all that, and uh, and that was kind of the go-to place to go find some really cool articles and on how things work. Of course, mm-hmm. what about uh, how did Discover kind of change that when when they picked y'all up? So Discovery, when they they decided to uh, acquire HowStuffWorks.com, um, they 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 took an interesting approach because. Uh, I don't know if you've ever worked for a company that was involved in an acquisition. There's usually, yeah, there's usually a a tumultuous period where you have kind of a culture shock where Mm -hmm. the culture of one company is either trying to merge or take over the culture of another company. Discovery has been incredibly generous to us and allowed our, our culture to remain pretty much the way it was when we started. There's some differences, but for the most part, um, they've really just sort of given us the resources we need to do things like uh, we can use a lot of the the video that Discovery has created over the years. And uh, that's great for us because we can use it to illustrate some of our articles and, and give more in-depth uh, explanations of how stuff works. Mm-hmm. So I, I'd say that it's overwhelmingly been a positive experience. Um, it was – it was a, an interesting transition to, to watch because not everyone who works for the editorial department was here before the acquisition. Uh, I, I'm one of the writers who was here before, and so I actually got to watch it all the way through. Um, since then, we've had the chance to work with some of the, the other folks at Discovery, including the uh, on-air talent where we've written articles uh, for their their various – um, programs and uh, that's been really interesting as well. In the same vein of Discovery picking you up, you know, and they do TV. I know that there's a How Stuff Works TV show. Have you worked on that at all? Uh, no, the How Stuff Works TV show is is done by a different team, and they mm-hmm. they take inspiration from the website. But because writing for the web and writing for television are two very different activities, uh, sure. It's one of those things that Discovery's said, all right, we're going to go with this team. They've written for television before. Uh, they're going to take your site as the inspiration for the, for the television show. That really made the most sense because 
Uh, otherwise, we would have a television show written by website authors or, or article <laughs> authors. And I don't know that all of us could make the transition. I certainly couldn't make the transition over. It's, I've never written for television. So, um, mm-hmm. so we've, we sometimes will get contacted and we'll write some content that goes around the television show. But it's not, it's not in the TV show itself. It's supporting the television show on various websites. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. Tell us about your podcast tech stuff. You mentioned that earlier. What a little bit more information about that for our listeners. Yeah, tech stuff, man, this this show has really, really evolved. Um when we first started podcasting, which was I think back in two thousand eight, um, we are we originally had really no idea how our readers would react if we would get an audience uh, if that audience would be readers or if it would be a brand new audience of listeners who who maybe aren't even familiar with the website we just didn't know so when we started we started with a very simple plan we were going to do 5 minute long um episodes about a single topic and it would be pretty structured cuz with 5 minutes you don't have a whole lot of time to to extemporize mm-hmm. so uh, I sat down with my co-host, who is also my editor, Chris Paulette, and Chris and I would sit down. We would uh, sketch out an episode about a particular topic, and we'd do the, uh, the episode. We quickly discovered that five minutes was not enough time at all, and we gradually moved that up to ten minutes, and that was still not enough time. And sure. then we, um, we began to fudge it and get up to 15 minutes until people, you know, we weren't sure when we were going to start hitting resistance, but just when I think we would have hit resistance, we got the go ahead of say, make the episode as long as you need it to be in order to discuss the topic completely, because we're getting reports from people who say they enjoy the episodes, but there's, it's, it just gets started when it has to end. So now our episodes, this is two years later, uh, tend to be right around half an hour, maybe a little bit over half an hour. Uh, for uh, And some of our really in-depth ones go as long as 40 minutes. But uh, that we almost don't even need a timer now. That just seems to be the right amount of time for a conversation about a single topic between me and my co-host. Otherwise, if we go too long, we start to strangle each other in the sound booth. So it's the <laughs> perfect length. Um, and we've really had a lot of success with it. We've been in the top 10 uh, tech shows on iTunes multiple times. We've, we've held the number one spot several times. And when you look at all the other tech shows that are out there with the This Week in Tech with Leo Laporte, uh, and plus all his other tech shows like This Week in Google, Tech News Today, uh, you've got CNET with Buzz Out Loud. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got all these other shows out there. To, to have the number one spot was really gratifying. So we've had the number one spot a few times. We tend to battle it out with those other shows. Plus there's this iPhone ringtone podcast that keeps coming back that, oh, <laughs> man. Thorn in the side. Too many iPhone users out there subscribing to d- get new ringtones. <laughs> <laughs> we missed our mark, Craig. I know. Yeah. <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I was trying to do Android ringtones, but, you know, <laughs> Android users are such do it yourselfers that it didn't matter. It's just. But no, the, the the show's been great, and we do tend to focus on a single topic, and then we will really kind of go into detail about that topic. We, we're really concerned a lot with um, the, the social impact of technology, so not just how the technology works, 
but what it does for us and how it changes our lives. And sometimes that could be cultural or political. Uh, it really ends up being a, an interesting discussion. And, um, uh, and then we also have a couple of theme podcast episodes we do each year. Uh, we just last week wrapped up recording of our uh, uh, results of our 2010 predictions. Every year we do our tech predictions for the following year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This was our report card where we went through all the predictions we made for 2010 and mm-hmm. checked them against reality to see how well we did. And? and? Um, <laughs> all together I think, now. <laughs> I think we got a passing grade, although we both had some pretty major misses. I, I said that Apple was going to come out with this uh, tablet device, uh, but that it was going to tank. No one would buy it. <laughs> it was just it gonna, was a big failure. Ha- gonna, half credit on that. Yeah, I got yeah, I got the tablet part right. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, so what other projects you got going on? You said you talked about uh acting, so what kind of acting do you do? Oh, okay. So outside of my work at How Stuff Works, I do yeah, I, I occasionally act in stuff. Um it's mainly really small things that just allow me to improvise a lot. I enjoy improv acting, so uh, for example, I did a, uh, a Halloween-themed murder mystery show not that long ago. Uh, I Every year, for the last few years, back, back from 1999 to 2001, I started doing this. Then I took a long break. I act as a street character at the Georgia Renaissance Festival. Hmm. Yeah, my character is the Lord Admiral Edmund Vainglory III. <laughs> yeah, the longest name in Renaissance history. Yeah. Oh, and and of course there are characters who will recite title after title after title to try and one up each other. And uh, but yeah, in general, my character is just this goofy, a uh, uh, goofy noble who's been promoted to well beyond his capability uh, to the point where he he doesn't know anything about boats. He doesn't know anything about the ocean. Uh, but he's the Lord Admiral, and so he just. He he makes up facts left and right. He explains how stuff works, but his explanations are totally wrong. That's funny. I, I know Clavin. nothing, but yeah, he just got the job for because of seniority. Yeah, pretty much, <laughs> pretty much. Well, it was, it was on a whim. The king had a whim, and the king decided to promote him. And what's the, what the king says goes. So <laughs> that's cool. <laughs> yeah. But uh, apart from that, I also do, um, you know, I, I write some stuff on my own, which is really just for my own pleasure. I, I'm working on launching a, a, a web series that is a kind of comedy uh, superhero web series, sort of like the Justice League meets The Office. Um, <laughs> but you Michael know, that's Scott is Superman. <laughs> kind of, yeah. The uh, the my Superman is Captain Outstanding, the Man oh. of Destiny. That's cool. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's very – and my, my, my main villain is Lord Destructoronymous, uh, whose, whose catchphrase is quake in fear, puny mortals. It's, um, <laughs> it's a fun little side project I have, which you know, hasn't really taken off yet. I, I, I wrote some stuff for the Atlanta Radio Theater Company. Uh, I've performed with them several times as well, and I used to write for them uh, fairly extensively, although my, my day job is now so uh, – it, it's – it's fantastic, but it means that I don't have a whole lot of energy to write for myself <laughs> at the end of the day. Oh, um, yeah. But I used to write for them pretty regularly, and that started off as a radio program for their show. And now I'm kind of converting it into a video series. So we'll see how that goes. It'll be an interesting challenge, if nothing else. 
Yeah, true. So uh, let me ask you a question about your parents. You said your parents were, uh, what, uh, would you say fantasy authors? Science fiction fantasy authors, Same. yeah. So what, who, were, who were they and what did they write? Uh, my parents are Brad and Barbara Strickland. And so if you look up Brad Strickland on Amazon.com, you'll see a ton of uh, titles pop up. But um, his first novel was called To Stand Beneath the Sun. I want to say that came out in 81 or 83, sometime around there. I remember I was mm-hmm. quite young at the time. Uh, he's written lots of science fiction novels and fantasy novels since then, although over the last 10 or 15 years, he's mainly been focused on uh, fiction for young adults. So readers around between you know, like 10 and 15 years old. And um, that's mostly what he's concentrated on. But he's written lots of different novels, uh, novels like Moon Dreams, Shadow Show, Wizard's Mole, Knoll's Quest, To mm-hmm. Stand Beneath the Sun, uh, Children of the Knife, um, let's see, Arc Deep Liberty. Space Nine? Deep Space Nine? He's written some Deep Space Nine stuff. Yeah. Yeah, he's, um, he, he wrote a children's novel called Dragon's Plunder. And that children's novel ended up getting some attention from various other uh, authors and companies. Uh, one of the authors was uh, – uh, well, one of the companies was Paramount. And they, they contacted him uh, with the possibility of writing some stuff for their young adult series for Star Trek. So dad wrote some stuff for Deep Space Nine, for Star Trek Academy, um, a couple of other things. He also wrote uh, some stuff for um, – are you afraid of the dark? He wrote several books in the mm. Wishbone series. If you remember Wishbone, the uh, Jack Russell Terrier. Yeah, that, yeah. He wrote several books for that series as well. And um, yeah, he's since since that time he's written almost exclusively for young readers. Not not entirely. He's got a few books out there for mm. for older readers. But I'd say I'd say ninety percent of what he's done over the last decade has really been for young readers. That's pretty cool. All right. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm I'm really proud of my parents. They're both amazing and uh mom has written books with dad so mom's a co-author okay cool. well another, another reason i know about d space nine is because uh i had while we were talking i clicked on a link for the google just launched their ebook uh site uh-huh. and i said and you said search for brad Strickland. i went oh that's i just typed it in and there it was all the stuff yep very cool yeah, it means that I had a remarkable childhood. As I was growing up, I, I got to meet lots of authors uh, in the fantasy and science fiction realms and horror as well. And mm-hmm. so people you know, will talk about their Christmas party where they had the whole family over. I talk about Christmas parties where I was hanging out with Orson Scott Card and Tom Dietz and, um, uh, you know, or, or times where I went to, the con- to conventions and I ended up sitting next to Ray Bradbury or – um, you know, it's, it's some pretty incredible stuff that as a kid, I had no appreciation for whatsoever. As an adult, I'm thinking, I can't believe I sat next to Ray Bradbury. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, those are my, my, my parents' sci-fi friends. Right. <laughs> Jonathan, it's been amazing. Hey, where can the listener find out more about you, how stuff works, tech stuff, that sort of thing? Give a plug. Sure. Uh, here's a couple of plugs then. All right. So for, for tech stuff, uh, there's, there's, of course, the podcast, which you can find uh, through various RSS uh, readers as well as through uh, iTunes. It's at just tech stuff is one word. If you want to follow us on Twitter or Facebook, the handle for both of those is techstuffhsw. The website, of course, is howstuffworks.com. Uh, we have tons of content on all sorts of topics i highly recommend if you have not visited the website check it out and we also have a a 
several other podcasts, all of which are amazing. Um, stuff you should know, stuff you missed in history class, stuff mom never told you. Uh, it's, it's really – I'm very proud to work for this site. That's awesome. Yeah. It's been a treat. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much. That's all for this episode of Interface to Face. We hope you enjoyed it. You can find us at chuckchat.com along with several other great podcasts or search for Interface to Face on iTunes and have the show automatically delivered to you as new shows come out. Theme music provided by George Wood. You can find him and his music at podsafeaudio.com. Want to get in touch with us? Got any ideas of people in science and sci-fi you think we should talk to? Send your email comments to interface to face at chuckchat.com or follow us on Twitter at interface to face. We'll be back where we'll interface to face for you. <laughs>